go ahead and, and dismiss for Children's Church unless they want to stay in here for this. It's their choice. It's fine with me. Uh, if they want to learn a little bit, it's up to them. But um, we'll go ahead and let them get out for just a second. We are excited to see you this morning at Chanel. We hope that you're having a wonderful week. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad to see you here today as well. This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or phones, whatever you're using, uh, I'll give you a chance to get there uh, with this opening story. So a few weeks ago, uh, I was, I'd heard rumors of a movie that was coming out in November. And I was very excited about this movie. And finally, about last month, a trailer was released for this movie. And I'm sitting in our, in our living room on our couch, and I'm aware of the phrase, like, little ears are always listening, right? Like, I, I miss that a lot, but anyway, we, our kids are there. So I'm, I'm watching this movie trailer, and unbeknownst to me, Judah is watching the trailer over my back. And I'm, I'm cackling in it. I'm thinking this movie is going to be hilarious and awesome and everything that I want it to be. And then Judah eventually says, Dad, who is that? Now, how do you explain a visionary, a creator, someone that has changed entertainment forever? Now, let's go ahead and show the, the picture here. It was the Weird Al Yankovic documentary. Or mockumentary. We're, we're not sure which one. He might just be making fun of all of us. I don't know. But I'm watching this trailer, and, and Judah obviously has a lot of questions. Like, what's this guy about? You know, what kind of music does he make? And I have this moment as a, as a dad, as a parent, to kind of say, how do you teach somebody this? How do you explain who Weird Al Yankovic is to a seven-year-old? And I said, Judah, I can't, I can't explain it. I, I've got to show it to you. Let's go to the computer. And so we go to the computer, and then probably a few hours later, Whitney was like, can you please stop playing Weird Al Yankovic songs throughout the house? But we went through the hits, right? We went through uh, his, his parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It, Just Eat It. Um, he has a new one called Party in the CIA, which is a, a playoff of Party in the USA. I mean, hits, guys. Now, what I would encourage you, if you're like, hey, I want to teach my kid about Weird Al this afternoon, you will listen to it for a while. We have not broke the habit in the past month. These are like we're driving to school songs right now in the Kinder household. So if you want that, go for it. I'm praying for you. Please pray for us as we hopefully will quit listening to Weird Al in the near future. But I bring up that because of how much joy those silly songs bring my kids. And music can do that for us, right? Like it can... It can create joy and passion and excitement when we hear songs maybe that we listened to when we were growing up or songs that remind us of, you know, better times with our families or whatever. You fill in the blank. But music can do that. And those silly songs by Weird Al is an excellent example, in, at least in my family, of what music can do for people. And we've all experienced that in some form or fashion. You know, they say that the music that we connect to the most as adults is the music that we listened to when we were teenagers. And so, unfortunately, it's 90s hip-hop, Tupac. I'm just saying, it's, it's what we do in the Kittinger house. So that's the music that I grew up listening to in high school. But music brings back memories and emotions and passions, and it can lead us in directions that maybe God is wanting to lead us into. And so this morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 16. And it's a story about music. It's also a story about pain and suffering. And the story begins in verse 13. On the Sabbath, this is Paul and Silas talking, by the way. 
On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, the reality is that Paul and Silas, they're either looking for an actual building, a structure to worship at, or they're just kind of looking for maybe a quiet place to pray, to sing, to study God's Word. We, we don't really know exactly what they were looking for, but those are kind of the two options that we have. And when they go searching for this place to worship, they encounter these women who are by the river. One listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, Thyatira is known for its purple dye, and Lydia is, is going to be somebody who is in that business. But that's her identity. That's what she does. That's the business that she's in. And it's also made her uh, quite wealthy, too. Lydia is going to be the head of the household in this story. She's a, a successful businesswoman in this context. Uh, uh, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now, this means, what, the way that Luke is writing this, is that she was likely a, a Gentile who was at least a sympathizer to God. Uh, in some form or fashion, we don't believe at this point she was a Christian, that she followed Jesus, but we know that she was worshiping God, at least in this context. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Now, the story in Acts chapter 16 really begins quite positive. Paul and Silas, in, in the context of, of this story, are kind of one for one on converting people. Uh, they, they encounter Lydia, boom, she gets baptized. But it's really not just Lydia. Because Lydia, being the head of the household here, means that everyone under Lydia would also have been baptized. I mean, we're, we're talking probably five to ten people that would have been baptized in this setting. And if you're Paul and Silas, you are feeling good about yourselves, right? Like, this is the game. This is what you want to do. This is why you became a missionary, is to convert people. Now, a few months ago, kind of the first month that I was really starting to preach here at Chanel, I think it was towards the end of May, I preached a sermon that, guys, I'm going to be honest, I felt good about. I thought, did I crush that sermon? Like, I, I really, in my mind— you can laugh with me. I'm, I'm trying to be humble here. But in, in this point, the story is to say, like, I preach a sermon, and if, if you guys know, I, I, after I say, you know, let's stand and sing, nobody, okay, nobody moved, good. So everybody's with me. So after I say, let's stand and sing, I'll go down here. And when I turn to sing, I remember thinking, like, that was pretty good. Like, I'm gonna, I felt great about that. I felt like people were with me. The text flowed. It fit. I, I felt good. And I'm standing there. I'm looking at the screen. And in my peripheral, I see someone coming forward. Now, I'm gonna, this is going to be a preacher talk here. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to tell you exactly what I was thinking. In my mind, I thought, I'm about to baptize somebody. I thought somebody was coming forward down this middle aisle. And I was like, excellent sermon. I've moved somebody's heart. Somebody is about to, you know, commit themselves to the Lord. I'm feeling good about myself. And then I feel an arm around me, and I'm like, come on, let's do this. Like, we'll get the water ready. Let's go. And it's JJ. And, and JJ puts his arm around me and he says, hey man, um, we found some sunglasses in the bathroom and we want you to announce that after the closing prayer. And I, I, I go, what? And he said, they're actually really nice sunglasses. Like whoever, they, they, wanna, they want these sunglasses. And in this moment, I mean, my, my emotions were crushed, right? I was like, I'm probably not baptizing JJ this morning. But it was one of those like humbling experiences 
Or like, I thought, I was like, man, I crushed it. I did good. We're about to baptize somebody. And then it was just sunglasses, right? And I don't know if they were your sunglasses. I hope you found them. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be sunny today. You'll need them. But I tell that story because I promise you that's how Paul and Silas felt right here in this moment. Everything was going the way they wanted to. They show up into this city. They go to the river. They, the first people they encounter, they baptized. And then things change pretty rapidly. In verse 16 Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners for fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you to be saved. We gloss over this a lot, but we have to look at this because it helps layer the story. This is a young girl. She's probably maybe a teenager, probably less than that, who has this spirit that is over her, that she is making money for these men who own her. I mean, this is not a a great story, right? This is kind of dark. She's a slave to these men. She predicts the future for people. This is how they make their money. And she's walking around and following Paul and Silas, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now again, that moment where like, the invitation song's happening. I'm feeling good about myself. Paul and Silas are probably like, you know what? Like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is a little bit different. But look at what happens next. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love the emotion here, right? Like, we can feel it, right? Day after day after day, this girl is following them, saying the same thing. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Now again, we're still in that moment, right? We're like, this girl has been healed. Like She's been saved. She's had this Spirit that has consumed her. That has captivated her forever. And all of a sudden, in this moment, with this encounter with Paul, she is healed and released from this. But when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought men before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Do you see what they're doing here in this argument? Outsiders are changing who we are and what we do. The language that they're using is letting these people know these people, Paul and Silas, are not from around here. Are you familiar with that language? Maybe you've said that before in your hometown, like they ain't from around here. Um, But that's what they're saying. They don't belong here. What they're doing is disrupting our way of life. They're mad because the way that they made money is now gone. Paul has healed this girl, and they can't make money off this girl anymore. And so they're like, someone's got to pay for this. And it's going to be the two guys that have done this. In 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Have you ever been in part of those moments where like the crowd just gets captivated in the moment? I think a lot of it, like after a football, like a football victory, and the crowd rushes the, the, the field, and then normally that experience goes out into the streets and then you're burning couches and overturning cars like it's kind of that like the crowd gets caught up in this moment and it becomes just like uncontrollable 
So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Do you see what happens here? Like, this is a feel-good story for several verses. Things are going the way that Paul and Silas want them to go. I mean, they're, they're in the business of, of converting people, sharing the gospel, baptizing people. And when they start trying to save people, all of a sudden they are experiencing not just like harassment, but pain. They're tortured. They're severely flogged. Then they're thrown in prison. And not just regular prison. Like they're thrown in the inner cell to say, you guys are not leaving here. Now this story up to this point has been quite dark. It is. And we, we glaze over this a lot because we don't want to look at the negatives in this story. But the pain and the sadness are actually teaching us a lot about joy. Because how we respond to suffering, how we respond to pain and difficult situations influences how we experience joy. I want to try to bring us out of the darkness of this passage with a, a, a movie clip. We've already talked about Weird, which comes out in November, but I want to share a little bit about a movie called Inside Out, another movie um, that our kids hopefully have loved. because It's a great movie about emotions and feelings and stuff. This movie is about a girl named Riley who her family moves from Minnesota all the way to California. And she's a, like a 13-year-old girl, and you can kind of imagine she doesn't want to move. She doesn't want to leave her friends. She doesn't want to leave her school or sports team. She wants to stay where she is. And she has this really difficult experience going from point A to point B. Now, the movie is a cartoon that kind of characterizes her emotions of sadness, joy, anger, um, fear. And there's another one. But the, mo- the clip that we're going to show in just a second, I think if, if you're ready, Stan. Are you ready? Give me a thumbs up. So in just a second, we're going to show this clip. But I want you to think about how sadness influences joy. Because the way that Paul and Silas respond to the challenges that they faced influences how they respond in those moments. Do they cower down? (laughs) Do they say, God, I'm not interested in this anymore. This is too hard. Or do they say, God, you're teaching me something in this difficult moment. And so we're going to watch this clip. Again, it, it follows the characters of sadness and joy. And I think it helps us articulate how sadness influences joy and helps us better understand those two emotions. Let's go. Gotta fix this. Get up there. Sadness. It's up to you. Me? Sadness? Sadness? I can't, Joy. Yes, you can. Riley needs you.
miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy, but I want my old friends and my hockey team. I want to go home. Please don't be mad. Come here. <laughs> See in that clip how sadness influences joy and how they, they work together. And because she understands sadness, her joy can be experienced. You see this too in the passages that we're looking at this morning. In Acts 16, I want you to see how Paul and Silas respond to their pain and their suffering. In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Think about that for a second. What do they choose to do in their suffering and in their pain? They could have easily just sat there in that cell and said, you know what, all right, nothing's going to happen here. We're in jail. This is what we're going to do. But how they respond is so important. It's a huge lesson for us to learn as Christians. I'm not telling you to ignore your pain or your suffering, but to consider how you respond to it. Because what Paul and Silas decide to do is to turn their attention to the person that gives them joy. They immediately turn their attention to God. In those moments of darkness and sadness, they say, you know what? Our joy is found in something that this world cannot offer. Our joy is found in God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. He does this because in Acts chapter 12 the prison guards are killed for Peter's escape. Like he knows that his life is on the line if these individuals have left the prison. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Look at how he responds. See, their joy in those periods of suffering is infectious. The jailer knows that there's something different about these two men. The way they live, the way they think, the way they exist in this moment of pain and suffering is something that this individual has never experienced before. And so this question is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. That hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. How we respond to suffering can lead us into joy. But we have to be centered and focused on God. 
If we are, when we find ourselves in those difficult and challenging moments and seasons in life, our attention can be turned to the things that God is doing in our lives. The way that Paul and Silas respond directly influences not only the jailer, but his whole household. They are baptized because of the way that they responded to their suffering. Instead of wallowing in suffering, they respond with joy. That looks different to each of us. Maybe your response to suffering and joy is just it's singing a song, spending time in prayer. Maybe it's just going on a walk. But how we respond to joy not only affects ourselves, but affects those around us as well. And I want to remind us with a passage this morning to close from Romans chapter 5 about that that suffering can lead us into new places. Paul writes this to the church of Rome. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this week, my prayer for you is this. If you find yourself in in periods of suffering and pain, consider how you respond to that. Don't ignore it. Reflect on it. Experience it. But recognize that God may be leading you into a season of joy. Because how we respond to suffering affects our ability to understand what God is doing in our lives. Let's stand and sing together.